and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ronaldo in the starting 11 to my Ronaldo on the bench. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, the Championship is back. How excited are you? I am excited, but the Championship was back last weekend, Ryan. We should we know this. We, we covered it in, in the last it? episode. It, it, it was. It was a bit like... It was, it was like pre-drinks. a soft start, wasn't it? It was, it was pre-drinks. It was, it was pre-drinks. I like your analogy drinks. better. <laughs> yeah, pre-pre-drinks where you just have a, a sip of, a, I don't know, a pint before the, uh, before the heavy night um, assumes, essentially. Yeah, it's going to be one hell of a piss-up on Saturday, isn't it? especially with England playing oh God. on Saturday night. Yeah, it's going to get proper messy, isn't it? And I feel like this excitement for the Championship could all be very much drained away as soon as we have mm. Blackburn nil, Preston nil at midday on Saturday, and then England get knocked out of the World Cup on Saturday on Saturday night. What a bring-back-down-to-reality that could be. Uh, Justin, otherwise you're right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm absolutely freezing my my tits off, uh, so to speak. Um, the windows are heavily condensated as well in the house. It's it's truly truly winter right now, and I mean I, I think I moan quite a few quite a lot about recording the podcast, but we don't have the the cushy studio environment. We are victims of our own um, choices of uh, preferring not to invest in a, a nice environment. I think maybe. I, I haven't been in plenty of studios myself. I'll tell you now that a lot of them are absolutely freezing cold because of mm. how people like to operate. Um, people, when I speak to broadcasting uh, colleagues, a lot of them seem to prefer it to be absolutely freezing because it keeps them alert. And I'm like, are you absolutely insane? It's That's the least way I want a studio to be. I like being cosy. I like being cosy and warm because it feels like... Um, I'm I'm giving a, a a story to our listeners, you know, in front of a fire, a bit like the CBB's bedtime stories with all the famous people, um, but less, um, I don't know, less interesting. Why are you watching CBB's still? <laughs> no, I'm not watching CBB's, but I usually see. Welcome going... to the number one championship specific <laughs> podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the championship is fully well and truly back this coming weekend so we're going to look ahead to some of the games coming up in the championship this weekend talk about some of the news from the past few days especially including what's going on at Coventry City and then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end so we'll look ahead to some of the games this weekend Justin some proper crackers coming up and as always when we do a preview Justin I want you to pick a banker for this weekend so which team do you think is most likely to win in the championship this coming weekend, I'm going with Millwall, um, and that be that may come as no surprise to absolutely anyone. Um, but my, my banker is Millwall, and you might be thinking, okay, well, they got absolutely hammered and putting uh, well, some individuals put in a horror show last weekend against Sunderland. Um, but I think considering that variable, um, the fact that they have had a, an extra game to get their mindset right ahead of everybody else. Um, I think that's going to play into to Millwall's hands a little bit, and I don't think Gary Rout was particularly pleased to be very, um, to be very blunt um, uh, about the performance last weekend against Sunderland. And I think that's going to stand them in good stead going ahead against Wigan. And I just think Wigan probably need a little bit more time under Colo Torre just to get used to um, how they want to play. My presumption is of how they want to play is potentially a little bit more fluid than than they were under Liam Richardson. They were very structured. Um, and considering Carlo Torres come from a footballing background as a player, um, playing from the back, uh, and then going into a Brendan Rodgers 
team, as a coach, um, I do think he's going to want to progress it into that style of play, which may play into Mill's hands a little bit um, as well. And I just think they're going to be a little bit more ahead of um, Wigan in, in that sense. And again, the, the home record's been pretty good this season. That switch to a 4-2-3-1 has helped them massively as well. And I don't think they're going to make the same mistakes they made last week. Because if you take the mistakes they made and the poor situations that they made um, last week against Sunderland, Millwall may have ground out a result last weekend, um, but they were subject to some really comical error making, um, which will not happen again under Gary I don't think, especially not two weeks in a row. Yeah, considering Millwall are such a defensively solid side, I'll be surprised if they defend as terribly as they did against Sunderland at the weekend. And I've got nothing else really to say on the matter, Justin. Millwall are one of those teams this weekend. I think there are about four or five teams who I think will be looking to think this should be a solid win for us so I think there there are a few choices that you could pick as a banker and I'll go for the nice easy tap in here Sheffield United to beat Huddersfield at home <laughs> this weekend as far as bankers go in the championship this season this should be right up there it's second v bottom and I think it's safe to say this should be a walk in the park for the Blades they had been in great form prior to the World Cup break four wins in five including that huge victory over Burnley they had a few injuries before the break and this few weeks will have been priceless for Paul Heckingbottom in getting players back fit. There is still a few concerns in that regard. Ollie McBurney had surgery on a hernia, which means he could still be missing. Ilman Ndiaye had been limping off um, after the Senegal game uh, when they lost to England at the weekend. So those two are amongst those, some of those who could still be missing. But at the end of the day, Sheffield United's B team should be good enough to beat Huddersfield. That's how much strength and depth <laughs> they've got. And that's also how rubbish Huddersfield are right now. In the time that Mark Fotheringham has been at Huddersfield, they've still only scored the one goal from open play, which is a petrifying stat for Huddersfield fans and their chances of staying up. Considering they're coming up against one of the meanest defences in the division. I struggle to see that changing this weekend. So I'm very much expecting a Sheffield United safe home win. Are you not thinking maybe Huddersfield may um, snatch it? These are the sorts of games where I always no. think, especially, no. especially, no, I'm not. especially coming after a long break, I'm always thinking, okay, they might. They might win 1-0 via a set piece. Birmingham City have done it to Brentford on numerous times. First couple of games of the season where they've had 20% possession, Justin, scored with Justin, their only Justin, shot of the game. Use your head a sec. Use your head a sec. <laughs> You've been watching Huddersfield as much as I have recently. They're yeah. rubbish. I mean, don't, let's not beat around the bush here, but they, they aren't great going forwards. They have improved defensively, if I'm going to be diplomatic about it. Um, and I just think, I don't think it's a banker. And I don't think it, I don't think any Sheffield United fan should treat it as a banker either, because I, I think this is a sort of game where if you get complacent, especially from a mindset as a player and a supporter, you expect to win. And that's where these teams that are going through the motions, to, to you know, so to speak, um, do tend to did take you, advantage. Didn't you say Sheffield United were going to win the league? in our up and down episode not too long that's, ago that's not without speed bumps is it there's, there's going to be bumps and one hell of a it'll be it'll be a chasm <laughs> they're falling down if they lose if they don't beat Huddersfield at home this weekend true but they also dropped points at home they lost to Rotherham um they they created a, a lot of chances at Rotherham Rotherham took their only chance that they had or one of their only chances that they had in the first half um, through Ben Wiles um, and I think with the Yorkshire Derby, I think those things you've got to take into account. The, the the variables you can't measure, you've got to take into account with these sorts of games. I have no idea why on earth you're 
trying to persuade me that Huddersfield could get something <laughs> from this game. And considering you've just had Millwall as your banker for the weekend when they just got spanked by Sunderland last weekend, then I, I, I don't really get where you're coming from here, Justin. Anyway, let's go to your upset. What do you think is going to be the biggest surprise victory in the Championship this weekend, Justin? I'm going with a Cardiff away win at Stoke City, um, and I think the biggest surprise is probably the best way to to bring in, uh, well, to to pitch this essentially, um, mainly because Cardiff's away form is absolutely atrocious. They are twentieth when it comes to their away record. They've scored eight goals away from home, and they're coming up against a Stoke side who, I would hope, under the the, the international break with Alex Neil, they would have improved. Um, they would have got themselves sorted in areas. Um, and I do think, I'm not saying it's Cardiff's time or they're going to go on a big run of form, but I think this might play into Cardiff's hands a little bit as well. The ability or inability to play to an identity through Alex Neal at Stoke, um, whereas Cardiff do have a solid identity. They know what they want to do. They know how they want to play. They know how they want to approach these sorts of games. I think that's going to play into Cardiff's hands a lot more than it would do would do to Stoke. Um, and I do think Stoke will continue to go through the motions a little bit as the weeks go on until they find form. Um, but saying that, I think the I think this this game is a is a fine balance between a banker of a nil nil or Cardiff surprising everybody and coming away um, from the bet three six five with a one nil win in a clean sheet. I don't. I think this game is as unpredictable as it gets, really, because Stoke are an unpredictable side in yeah. itself, but. Their home record is shocking. It's terrible. They've got the third worst home record in the championship. And then you've got Cardiff who have got the fifth worst away record in the championship. So is it possible for both teams to lose? We may find out this coming weekend. Uh, but yeah, I could easily see this going either way. So I'm not going to disagree with you, Justin. Um, I'd obviously side with Stoke because they've got home advantage. And on occasion, they can put out a good performance. It's just we haven't seen that very often with Stoke under Alex Neal so far, have we? Uh, my upset is Rotherham to win at home to Bristol City. I say upset because they're the outsider with the bookies. And that's why I was basing that on. Um because otherwise I didn't really look at many fixtures this weekend and think, oh, I can see an upset happening there. So when I say upset in this one, it's an air quotes upset. <laughs> um, and I think this is the most likely one, if there is going to be one. Uh, it's mainly because Bristol City are very much out of form. Two wins from 13. No team has conceded more goals than them away from home. They are definitely struggling, are Bristol City, and will have to... Um, well, they will have been one of the few teams who have actually welcomed this World Cup break so they can have a bit of a, a chance to reset themselves and just, you know, take stock of where everything is at at the moment. But I think they could struggle against a stubborn Rotherham side. They've put in some brilliant showings in a recent weeks prior to the break. They gave Burnley and Norwich tough games despite ultimately losing. They won a point away at Luton and, of course, won all three points away at Sheffield United. So with that alone, I think Rotherham will fancy their chances here. And an important point to mention is Bristol City's big Achilles heel, and that's defending set pieces. They've got the worst record in the division for goals conceded from them. And Rotherham like a set piece, don't they? Richard Wood. Wes Harding, Georgie Kelly, they'll be licking their lips at the possibilities from a dead ball situation here against Bristol City. So, yeah, I fancy Rotherham to get a, air quotes, shock result at home to Bristol City this weekend. This sounds as convincing a win as it possibly could be for Rotherham. Um, sort of diminishing the uh, 
um, the the <laughs> the thought of it being a surprise win. I think the only thing that could make it a surprise win is just the the budgets between the two sides. I think yeah, Rotherham going into the international break lost back to back games. Um, Bristol City not in in too good a nick either. Um, sorry, lost two two back to back games uh, at home. Uh, I should say, but. I, I would have put my money on Rotherham to win this, um, mainly because Bristol City's form away from home is so poor um, and we don't know what Bristol City team we're going to get. We could get the Bristol City team that had a really good run of form throughout September or we could get the Bristol City team that had a poor run of form um, in the lead-up to the international break. It's a, it's, a, it's a coin toss with them, a bit like Stoke and, uh, and Cardiff. Um, so I'd have, I'd have put a lot of money if I was a betting man on Rotherham, to be honest. A lot of money. I'm not sure you'd put a lot of money on it just well, to put maybe maybe a, maybe a cheeky fiver or, or one pound if you go by your standards. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm only basing this as a, as a shock based on what the bookies are saying. And judging from what the odds are saying, from a betting perspective, I'll be looking at this and saying, yeah, Rotherham are definitely the value here because I fancy them more than I fancy Bristol City to get a result. So considering they're the outsider, yeah, it looks like a... Solid bet, if you look at it from that perspective. Uh, finally, Justin, as we preview this weekend, we'll have a look at the game of the weekend, which is Blackburn v Preston, a proper Lancashire derby at midday on Saturday. These two count each other as big rivals whenever Blackpool and Burnley aren't in the championship. But when either of those teams are in the championship, then... They're not as they're not as big rivals as they would be, but still rivals. Uh, what are you thinking ahead of this one, Peachy? Again, I think because we're coming from this prolonged break, it's really hard to decipher exactly what we're going to get from any team in the division. Obviously, I don't think anybody we would have seen a three 0 win last weekend for Sunderland uh, against Millwall probably would have been. I'd have predicted a closer game than that, and I think it'll be the same with with several teams um, in this division. And with this one being a derby, I think it'll be exactly the same. Obviously, you've you have Blackburn who have been who would have been nursing themselves from that heavy defeat um, against Burnley, and they're going straight into another derby, and it's a chance to put that right. So I think the motivation to do that will will stand them in good stead here. And obviously, you've got a Preston side who um, who lost going into uh, the international break, but won three back to back before that, and obviously they conceded four goals at home to Millwall. Um, well, yeah, in the lead up to the World Cup break, um, which which may play into things a little bit as well, but. It just depends what team you're going to get from either of them. You've got a Blackburn team who can grind out a result or they can easily go behind. And we've seen Preston with their defensive record, their ability to keep clean sheets and keep opposition out. Um, if they go 1-0 ahead, can easily see Preston winning this. Um, same with Blackburn. Blackburn have shown that they can defend leads. If they go 1-0 ahead, ahead, I can easily see them doing doing the same thing. Um, so I think it's, a, it's harder to predict to get a game as we'll get, I think, this season, to be honest with you. Um, so I might have to sit on the fence and, and, and call a draw for this. It's, it's a really, really hard one to, to, to separate in terms of the two sides. I suppose it's the anti-XG derby, because <laughs> in Info Goal's XG table, Blackburn are 19th, while Preston are 16th, yet they find themselves 3rd and 9th, respectively. This won't be a goal fest. I say that because both sides struggle to create a ridiculous amount of chances, but are both... Um, quite efficient defensively Mm -hmm. in terms of restricting the opposition to goals, even though the XG may say slightly differently in terms of how many chances they concede. I reckon there'll only be a goal to separate them and I'm unsurprisingly edging towards Preston, considering I'm expecting Blackburn's downfall to be on the horizon. My thinking is now that 
we're not actually halfway through the season, but this World Cup break, I think, kind of signals the halfway stage of the season, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. And Blackburn have had a great first half of the season. And as I keep saying, I think the second half of the season won't be as good for them. So if that is going to be the case, then maybe this will signify the start of this Blackburn downturn that we've been forecasting for quite some time, Justin. So this could be the start of it. And considering they have been having to rue that disastrous defeat to Burnley just before the break as well, this won't be a great way to kick things back off, will it? With a defeat against your other rivals um, at home as well. Uh, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the Championship over the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and Coventry City have been issued with an eviction notice by the new owners of the Coventry Building Society Arena. Former Newcastle owner Mike Ashley took over the stadium last month. The Fraser's group say Coventry have no continuing right to use the ground unless a new licence is agreed. Now, a licence had been agreed between Coventry and the former owners of the ground, Wasps, but Fraser's don't believe they're bound to that agreement. In a statement, Coventry say they're surprised by the notice, saying Fraser's group have now presented a new agreement with new commercial terms which have been presented to us without any dialogue or negotiations and are less favourable to the football club. What have you made of this, Justin? A lot's been said in the mm. past 72 hours or so. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not a fan of it, obviously, because what Coventry have had to go through over the last six months with the stadium, and obviously if Mike Ashley was serious about owning the stadium, then he'd want to put a football club in it, um, and therefore putting a bid in for the football club would have logically made sense but football is not a logical thing there's not too many things that are very logical about football ownership either um that being said as i say i want to reiterate i don't i don't like it but i understand what mike ashley is doing he's trying to get the best deal for himself um and his and his and his group or his his business um and he's wanting to renegotiate the terms i don't think that will mean coventry will be homeless but obviously if coventry don't agree to those terms the outcome will be they will have to find a new stadium or new place to play um, but I just think this is a typical Mike Ashley tactic that we've seen a fair few times, albeit in a different set of circumstances. Um, he operates on a brinkmanship level. Uh, you know, he, he likes to leave things to the very last minute to ensure that he's got the best possible deal. And I just think this is a similar tactic to what he's deploying um, throughout his yeah his, his career as a businessman. Um, as I say, I, I don't like it. I, I think Coventry. I think the situation with Coventry City as a football club needs to be treated with a little, little bit more respect considering what they've had to go through. Um, but at the same time, it's Mike Ashley's business, it's his stadium. He can do what he wants with it and that's the reality of the situation for the football club. Yeah, it's not really a surprise for me because Mike Ashley is doing what Mike Ashley does. He's a ruthless businessman at the end of the day and that's how he's been so successful it feels a bit naughty, but we've seen from his time at Newcastle that he doesn't give a shit if it makes him unpopular. Unfortunately for Coventry, the fact of the matter is that the stadium is his property and he can do what he wants with it. And this is clearly a power play to try and get more money out of the club and possibly 
even try to take them over in the long term because it could put off any potential suitors now, couldn't it? And Mike Ashley's got the upper hand when it comes to um, possibly going in again to try and get Coventry like he did not too long ago. I feel dreadfully sorry for the fans because there's now a very likely possibility that they'll be forced to watch home games outside of Coventry again. But ultimately, I feel it's down to the legacy of the current owners, um, the Sisu Group, whose several years of incompetent ownership have left them in the position that they're in because I feel like this could have all been avoided if it wasn't down to incompetent ownership. But here we are where that incompetent ownership has once again been, you know, it's been filtered down into the supporters who are now having to figure out what they're going to be doing Mm -hmm. for the next home game and where on earth it's going to be played. So it's a massive, massive shame that it's come to this. But when you've got, you know, the situation that they're in, considering all of the different variables, it's not a massive surprise that this has happened, Justin. Yeah, exactly. And I know that the suspected takeover with with Doug King is ongoing um, and there's other other interests as well uh, or challenges to that takeover. Um, but the, the thing that is always forgotten in any process like this is the supporters and it's it's, it's a crying shame that that is the case. Um, you know, these supporters moved away from Highfield Road um, back in the mid-2000s with the prospect of moving to the Rico Arena to push them to the next level. Um, and obviously, you know, the stadium wasn't under their ownership then. They don't still own a stadium now and it's, it's a it's just it's a huge huge shame that that's been done to the football club, um, and they've never really recovered since then. Um, which is as I, as I've said repeatedly, um, it's a massive massive shame, and it shouldn't be the case. It just exemplifies the reasoning why football clubs should have a stadium within their ownership, um, and it shouldn't be allowed to leave their ownership unless. Well, I, I, I struggle to think of a reason, a good logical reason. As I said, logic doesn't really matter in football, but a good logical reason as to why a football club should not have a, fo- uh, a stadium under its ownership. Makes complete sense, doesn't it? I suppose the other question is, will this affect Coventry's results on the pitch? It's got to be said, they've been ferried all around the country, haven't they? And it's not really affected them too much. So hopefully that will continue to be the case. But I don't know, it just feels like another knockout sucker punch to them, doesn't it? And Mm. you wouldn't blame them if it did affect them on the pitch, would you? Boy, Mark Robbins is a master of managing to avoid allowing off-field situations and issues um, impact the players on the pitch, um, and he's done a great, uh, he's done a fantastic job at doing it. But at some time, at some point, yeah, the straw's going to break the camel's back, so to speak. And I've got a saying right for once. So it's the right cliche, and I've done it. Um, congrats to me. But you know, the, the, the straw will break the, the camel's back at some point, and I think the club does risk its long-term future with Mark Robbins at the helm, with a good academy, with the players, um, if they don't get things sorted off the field, there will constantly be a club. Um, there will constantly be a club who are just in a transition, um, whether that be off the pitch or on the pitch, because they can't get things sorted off the pitch. That's the absolute must in the short term, is get ownership sorted and get the stadium situation sorted. Hopefully it happens sooner rather than later, because I thought this takeover with Doug King was going to be happening fairly swiftly. I don't know what the latest is with that. I haven't heard much recently. Um, But the longer it goes on where we haven't had some sort of resolution, the more chaos there's going to be off the pitch. And it looked like 
this was it. It looked like Coventry were mm. finally getting away from this chaos, but no, it's just pursuing longer and longer. And I feel like this news that's happened right here is a bit of a blow to Doug King's bid to take over the club as well. Um, of course, he tried to take over the club. He tried to take over the stadium, sorry, um, not too long ago mm-hmm. before um, it was decided that he came into the process a bit too late. And that's why he wasn't able to do it. And that's how Mike Ashley got his hands on the stadium. And what happens now with the takeover, I don't know. So it'd be interesting to see where it all goes next. But I've got to say, I'm not feeling as positive on the situation as I was not too long ago. Uh, Let's go from one chaotic West Midlands club to another chaotic West Midlands club. The latest on Birmingham City after their proposed takeover collapsed. Birmingham have released a statement saying the club had been approached by other interested parties. Paul Richardson, who was one of those looking to own the club, has been speaking to TalkSport. And when asked whether he knew of any other parties interested in buying Birmingham, he said, I don't think there's anyone else mad enough. And unfortunately, that's the state of things there, isn't it? This there isn't a long line of businessmen with wads of banknotes falling out of their pockets queuing up to buy Birmingham City, is there, Justin? Well, well, exactly. Um, I, I struggle to see too much reasoning in his um, in his thoughts on the on the situation. Obviously, um, he clearly doesn't think he's mad enough to to do it either, um, which says a lot about him after the promises he's made um, and all the statements he's made and all the public um, appearances he's made since this process began um, but I, I do think there's a there's a good football club there if you've only got to look at the academy and the success of the academy that if it does have the right investment what it can do Birmingham's a big catchment area there's a lot of big clubs in Birmingham City and it's, it's a big city and a, a, as I say a big area um, with a lot of potential for youngsters coming through we've seen the success of Jude Bellingham we've seen the club um with, with the the right investment, um, bring players in, improve them, and sell them on for a ma- massive profit. If that is distributed well amongst the club, it will bring greater success. There's a lot of potential with Birmingham City, and you've got to recognise that potential rather than looking at the short term losses uh, that you're going to make into in taking over Birmingham. Um, and I think that's the, the the mad thing about Birmingham. But as I say, there's a lot of potential there. We saw the heights they reached in the in the late 2000 uh, in the late 2000s. Um, and I do think they they, they, they they can get to a level where they can be at that point again. Um, they've got a young, exciting manager in John Eustace. They've got plenty of really good youngsters coming through the ranks. Um, and again, a similar to commentary, the ownership situation sorted out. They can be a club that reaches really good heights. Um, but it's just, yeah, really bad decision making. It's just held them back for years. I will actually disagree with a lot of what you've said there, Justin. I don't think Birmingham are a very attractive club to buy if you're a wealthy businessman. First of all, you've got to deal with these owners who sound like they're very uncooperative, as it is, but they also want to stay on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which brings about its own problems. But any new owner, I imagine, will also have to sort out the stadium, which is falling apart. And I also think there are clubs of a similar size to Birmingham, which are simply more attractive options. This club is a long, long way away from getting back to the Premier League because of how poorly run it's been in recent years. And I I don't think Birmingham will ever be in trouble of something more serious happening to them. I just struggle to foresee, you know, that happening where Birmingham are in serious, serious danger. But in terms of having new owners who actually care for the club, I feel like that's a long way away. 
So I think there will be interest in the club again, and hopefully it's soon, but it could take a while to find the right option. And my fear is that because there's desperation from all parties to get a takeover done, that the club could fall into the hands of someone it shouldn't. And that does make me a bit nervous, Justin. Yeah, that's always the danger with clubs that are in desperate situations. We've seen it with um, the likes of Wigan. Um, we've seen it with the likes of Sunderland as well. Um, that if the club is in a desperate, desperate situation, they don't necessarily attract the right buys with the right intentions. And that's not necessarily saying sinister intentions, but just the um, they might not have enough money to, to fund the club for 12 months and they might end up doing things that they shouldn't do. Um, we've seen it time and time again over the past 10, 15 years. Um, owners do that. Um, and they get themselves into a mess and that puts a club in a situation where it shouldn't be in. Um, but you are right. The, the club is in a, in a poor in a poor state. Um, and the longer it continues, the longer it's going to be to, the longer it's going to take to, to find the right buyer. Um, they, they can be very fortunate, like other clubs, that they have a very rich supporter um, come in, but they are very few and far between. And as you've mentioned, the, the club's not exactly in a healthy state. Um but I recognise the potential in it. I just hope that someone with several million pounds does as well. Watford are set to complete a double signing when the transfer window reopens. 20-year-old midfielder Ishmael Kone will be joining from Montreal. He played in all three games for Canada at the World Cup. And then Fabrizio Romano is reporting that they're also going to be bringing in 19-year-old fullback Matthias Martins from Fluminese. He's going to sign for Udinese and then be loaned to Watford after moving to the Italian side in a deal which could be worth €9 million. Euros. The Watford-Udinese thing, Justin, anything you want to say on that? Um, I think it's. I don't. I don't really know how to perceive it. Um, if it uh, benefits the club financially, um, that they can get around financial fair play rules, etc., um, then I don't like it. But if it's sharing players, like they have been doing for years, I don't. I'm not particularly fussed by it. Um, Multi club ownerships are a massive thing. Manchester City do it. Leicester City do it. Loads of clubs do it. Um, Watford aren't. Aren't, aren't different but it's just that for example the, the Kamari deal in the summer I thought that was a bit I, I didn't really like that um, but Watford have been using the system for years not particularly got too many thoughts on it it's it's how they operate Fair enough The Sun is reporting that Burnley boss Vincent Company is on the shortlist to replace Roberto Martinez as Belgian manager he resigned after they were knocked out of the group stages of the World Cup and this kind of link was always going to happen, wasn't it? Especially because Vincent Company has done such an amazing job. Because he is a Belgium legend, unfortunately, that kind of success is going to attract the eyes of unwanted passers-by, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's always the case. Um, I, I have this thought that international management isn't what it seems. I don't think you have to be the best manager in the world to be um, your your nation's manager. I think you've got to be a shrewd tactician with a clear style of play. Um, and I think that gets you a long way in international football. Um, I mean, you've only got to look at Gareth Southgate, no disrespect to him, but club management wasn't the best. He turned his back on it and succeeded internationally with England under 21s and, and then with the England national side, as, as we know. Um, I just don't think you've got to be a, an amazing coach or manager to be an international manager. So I think Vincent Company's got a long time to go. Um, as a club manager before he cuts his teeth into international management. So I'll just stick my neck out and say, I think Burnley fans have got anything to worry about at the moment. 
I hope they haven't got anything to worry about. <laughs> I'm just not sure how many candidates there will be on that shortlist who are realistic. And maybe Vincent Company will look at that and be a bit persuaded by it because, you know, he is a Belgian legend after all. I think it would be the wrong move for possibly all parties. I mean, Company is doing a great job at Burnley right now. If he gets to the Belgium job, Belgium are at the end of their cycle, aren't they? That's you know, Hazard's point. gone. Yeah. Um, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, these players are well past their peak. And then the likes of Lukaku and De Bruyne, for example, are the only ones standing who are still elite players. And he's still pushing if you're saying Lukaku's an elite player still. So <laughs> I don't know why Vincent Company would want to get the Belgium job. I just think he might be possibly persuaded by it, but I hope he's not. And he sticks to the job that he's doing at Burnley, where his stock is rising at an incredible rate, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. yeah. It would be a bad move for him. Um, I think it would be a bad move for Belgium as well because um, I think they'd just be wasting a potential manager who they could get further down the line, yeah. if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it would be a bad move for Burnley. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Fingers crossed. Um, the latest on QPR search for a manager, nothing really new over the past few days. Neil Critchley is still the Bucky's favourite. Uh, someone who's entered the frame recently is Marty Corfrentes, who I believe is the Hammerby manager in Sweden, Justin, which is a an interesting one. After all your years of watching the Swedish league, have you got anything to say about Cofuentes? I always offend someone if I talk about the Swedish or uh, Scandinavian football, um, whether that be a lack of knowledge or perceived lack of knowledge, or um, I'm getting countries or clubs mixed up um, in, in the countries they're playing. So I'm going to refrain from commenting too much without knowing the guy, other than he's got a funky sounding name. I quite like that. Um, and if they if they go with him, then I'll, we'll do a bit more research. But right now, it's it's a case of I'll stay with, steer very uh, far away from this one. Our most recent experience with managers coming from the Swedish league is Poiras Bargi. Um, so I would say avoid. Um, Middlesbrough <laughs> have released their accounts for last season, operating losses of £19 million, although that is down from £30 million the season before. I'm not sure if that's good or bad because £19 million still sounds bad, Justin, but in the grand scheme of things compared to other championship clubs, I'm not sure if that's actually all right. Well, it's the same thing with Bristol City. They're reducing their losses, which is great, which means they're reducing the the spend that they can't afford, literally can't afford because the club's losing money. Um, it's, it's, it's a positive, and I think Middlesbrough are well on their way to a more sustainable future, um, more sensible way of doing things as well, not just relying on Steve Gibson's... Um, credit card to to invest heavily into into situations um but it's a positive uh, i think under chris wilder he could have spent them into a really not i wouldn't say a bad situation but it they could have spent heftily um which makes me uncomfortable uh, as as i think everyone will will be well aware of by now and finally, a number of EFL clubs this Saturday have been have brought forward their games. This has made absolutely no sense. My notes have failed me here. Uh, let me start that again. A number of EFL clubs this Saturday have brought forward their games by an hour so away supporters can get back home for the England game. That makes a lot more sense. It includes the Reading v Coventry game. Plenty of others might struggle, though. Luton fans away at Middlesbrough. Norwich fans away at Swansea. Might need to find somewhere local, guys. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, sir. 
You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my colleague's turn to guess and my turn to provide the players and club with the scores 67-63 to myself for the season. Now, there's a lot of speculation that with there finally being somewhat of a gap between us in Diddy or Didn't he for the first time this season, uh, the speculation that you could begin to crumble, Justin, amidst the pressure just becoming too much for you. What do you say to that? I think you're trying to play mind games with me um, by making up this uh, quote-unquote speculation. I don't think there is any speculation at all. I've not seen anything on, on social or in, the, uh, or in the papers to suggest that there is speculation of this manner. Um, my mindset is, is pure focus. Yeah, I've been reading the same papers as me. Your first player is Danny Rose, and the club is Bristol City. Did he or yes. didn't he? I remember that. I remember that. It was a loan spell. Completely passed me by. 17 appearances in 2010-11. You are absolutely correct. A good start for JP. Next up, Ryan Fredericks and Ipswich. Did he or didn't he? That's a tricky one, because Ryan Fredericks' career up until Fulham... No idea. He's at West Ham now as well. So even post Fulham, difficult. He's at Bournemouth. Is he at West Ham? I don't actually know where he is now. Well, there we go. He's he's a he was such a good player for Fulham. I completely forgotten what's going on with him. He is at Bournemouth. Yeah. Ah. Is he playing? I think he is. <laughs> I don't really know. What a shame. He's played, he's played a couple of games. He was unbelievable for Fulham a few seasons he ago. He was fantastic. He? he was brilliant. And he's such a he's such a waste of talent for him not to be playing regularly, especially at championship level, but you know, pursuing a, a good career. Anyway, it was Witch Town. Yes. Why not? He didn't. I made it up. <laughs> After <laughs> all that. <laughs> One out of two. Next up, Corey Evans and Watford. Did he or didn't he? That's not fair because he had loads of loan spells. Um Watford's a difficult one as well because it's probably that era where they signed millions of players um, sort of like 2012 onwards so I'm going to say just on probability wise he probably did <laughs> he didn't I made that one up too oh my god shit <laughs> one out of three a truly disastrous start for Justin Peach next up Ian Hart and Blackpool did he or didn't he No. Four appearances in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. One out of four for Justin Peach. Tom Carroll and Newcastle. Did he or didn't he? <laughs> My instinct says no. You're right. Completely made it up. A respite for Justin Peach. Two out of five. Stefan Johansson and Wolves. Did he or didn't he? You've got some good players here because I can usually talk through their careers, but these ones I've struggled. Um, Stefan Johansson. It was a Celtic. Fulham. But I don't think he would have passed through at Wolves. But they went through a Scandinavian phase when they brought in Sol back in. I'm going to say no. 
For some reason, I thought he definitely did. But you're absolutely right. He didn't play for them. Uh, that means you've got three out of six. Starting to recover after a very shaky start. Um, I, I think I might have been the same as you. I put him in the Scandinavian category where uh, Wolves signed a lot of Scandinavian mm. players and thought he definitely did play there. Next up, Fraser Forster and Hull. Did he or didn't he? His career again. Prior to Celtic, not a Scooby. Um, I don't know where he came through at. Newcastle. I reckon he had a loan spell at Hull. I reckon there was a loan spell. A month. He didn't. Made it up. Three out of seven. And Josh Townsend in Ipswich. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, got him. Yeah, he did. Don't care anymore. 13 appearances in 2010. Completely passed me by. Um, although Andros Townsend is one of those people who you could just pick a random club out of the air and he probably has played for them. Jake Livermore and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? So again, heavy Spurs focus here. You've been on... I suppose there has. Sorry, yeah. I did not notice that at all. <laughs> Fredericks, Livermore, Townsend and obviously Carroll as well. Uh, Livermore and, and Danny Rose. And Danny Rose, Christ. Goodness me. Um, maybe that's the route I need to go down next week. Um, Livermore and Leeds. I know he was at Derby, but I can't recall any of a loan spell. Um, he didn't really... Uh, yes. Yes. I reckon he had three months there. Five appearances in 2011. That is annoyingly fluky, but I shouldn't be too disappointed because you've got five out of nine. And finally, Corley Woodrow and Portsmouth. Did he or didn't he? Gonna say no. Based off what? I don't know. My my logic is completely faffed here. Um, I'm... I'm done. I'm I'm exhausted. He didn't. Completely made it up. So, after a fairly disastrous start, you've actually recovered to get six out of ten, which isn't a great score, but considering how poorly you started, is actually all right. Yeah, I'll take it after... Like, I am... I am lower than the floor at the minute. I am... I've been punched in the face very hard in a boxing fight and I'm struggling to get back onto me onto my feet um, that was a that was a difficult one um, it's all about the order as well there's a it's, it's a psychological battle did he or didn't he the order oh, yeah. counts for a lot as well um, and if you get the order right you'll have a good you'll have a good uh, a good game it's always sad to see a once great podcaster at their current stages which is just a, a truly fraudulent human being. Um, there we go. The score for Diddy on Denty now is 69-67 to Justin Peach. But I've got a game in hand, which means the score this time next week could be absolutely huge, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of the gap between him and myself. Uh, but there we go. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about all the championship football, which is coming up this weekend. And hopefully England are still in the World Cup. So we look forward to seeing you then this coming Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. 
And a big thank you for listening. Thank you.